listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Has anyone in here ever been really disappointed? Does anyone in here feel like maybe your life hasn't turned out the, the way you had thought it would turn out? If so, this sermon is for you. For those of you that have lost loved ones too early. For those of you that have experienced the heartbreak of being told you're just, you're just not the one that we're looking for by the organization. For those of you that maybe feel like you've been abandoned by those who are closest to you, this sermon is for you. This, this sermon is for the student athlete that warms the bench. This, this sermon is for the, that person that never got a lead role in a school play or musical. This sermon is for the bully that picked on me in high school that I hated until two years ago when I saw him shoveling snow on my street trying to make a buck. This sermon is for individuals that maybe fear they peaked in high school. This sermon is, is for the seventh grade version of myself who was too fat to play quarterback, but was audacious enough to try. This sermon comes from the 19-year-old version of myself who loved a girl that was way out of his league, but that individual didn't care at all what anybody had to think about the matter. She's sitting in the front row. <laughs> this sermon, uh, it comes from the 35-year-old version of myself stuck somewhere between adolescence and sagehood. This sermon is for the brokenhearted and the downtrodden. This sermon is for the underdogs and all of you old dogs. <laughs> Amen, somebody. This sermon was preached long ago by a man who knew a thing or two about temptation. In fact, he preached it right after coming out of the desert where he was face to face with the Satan, the adversary, the one who still prowls the earth taking on many forms. This sermon is for those of you who know what temptation really looks like. This sermon is for those of you that could down a bottle of vodka with ease. This sermon is for the gluttons and the addicts and the whatever else you are because you just don't know how else to numb the pain. This sermon, although it may not be easy to listen to, is true. And I hope that you feel every word of it down into the deepest parts of who you are. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, the powerless, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they, they are the ones who will actually see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town, on, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Over these past seven weeks that I've been on sabbatical, I've actually been meditating on the Sermon on the Mount. It's a profound passage of scripture found in Matthew's chapters five, six, and seven. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's take on the law of Moses. It's somewhat of an audacious sermon. It might even be a little cocky. Just think about it. Throughout the sermon, Jesus, a young, charismatic rabbi in his early 30s says, Moses says this, <laughs> but I say this. Moses says, do not murder. But I say, don't even be angry. Moses may have said to you, do not commit adultery. I say to you, do not even lust after a woman, right? It's kind of as if Jesus is picking a fight with, with the lawgiver. You know, I mean, there are, there are reasons that Jesus was crucified. You know, he really upset the religious establishment of his day. And I, I think it's good for us not to forget that, you know. Now, Jesus, I want, I want to make sure to point this out. Jesus was very careful not to throw out the law of Moses. On the contrary, he actually tells us in the very next verse that I did not read, he says this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And the way that Jesus fulfills the law is by teaching us that the law is actually intended to bring about in us a transformation of our hearts. And so Jesus comes not only to fulfill the law, but to fulfill the prophecy of Jeremiah, that one day there would be a people upon whom the law was written on their hearts. Isn't that amazing? 
Yeah, before he goes into all of that stuff, I, I didn't read the whole Sermon on the Mount today and I encourage you to do that sometime. But before he does all of that, he, he opens with this monologue that I just read, calling out to people who are down and out. This opening passage, this prelude to the Sermon on the Mount, we affectionately call the Beatitudes, coming from the Latin word beatus, meaning happy, prosperous, blessed, or fortunate. And as we, as we hear this, this passage, which many of us did learn in Sunday school, it's one of the earliest things that we learn in the Bible, as we hear this passage, we often hear it as an ethical guide telling us how we need to live. But Jesus does not say here that we should become these things. He doesn't say you should become poor in spirit. He doesn't say you should be merciful. He doesn't say you should be meek. Although I, I would say it's good for all of us to be these things. He doesn't, he doesn't say you need to become these things. No, he just says that the people who are these things are blessed of God. Jesus is speaking life to the down and out. He's saying, hey, hey, you, you who feel like life is terrible, God's not forgotten about you. That's what the Beatitudes are. You are blessed of God. You're not blessed of God because you feel like it. You're blessed of God because God says so. That's why you're blessed of God. You are blessed when you experience the seasons of life that nobody wants to experience. You are blessed when you don't feel like it. And so if you came to church feeling today like God must be mad or you are upset at you because life has not turned out the way that you had hoped that it would, I want you to know you are blessed of God. If you're mourning today, God is with you. If you're feeling run over today, God is with you. God sees you. You are blessed of God. The great lie of the prosperity gospel in America is that we have actually taught people the opposite. We have taught people that they are blessed of God when they are rich, when they are successful, when they get their way, and when they dominate. Unfortunately, in America, oftentimes our proof of God's favor or God's blessing is when we get our way. Yet, as I was meditating on this passage, I, it just kind of struck me that actually Jesus is teaching the exact opposite here. I mean, if you actually read the words of Jesus, Jesus says that in the kingdom of God, the first, they're going to be last. And the last are first. You know what Jesus says about material prosperity? He says, watch out, be careful. It's actually really difficult for a rich person to make it into a, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says that about financial prosperity and success. You know, I don't, I don't claim to completely understand and comprehend all of the nuances of the kingdom of God. I think that the reality that Jesus came to bring is so vast, it's social, it's political, it's relational, it's spiritual, it's all of the O's. I mean, I really do believe that this this kingdom of God that is breaking in, that is to transcend our reality, is something that could just completely reorient our lives. 
But I think that we have a clue of what the, the values and virtues of the kingdom of God here in the Beatitudes, in this prelude to this sermon. Very similarly, in Luke's gospel, he says after Jesus came out of the desert, he went into the synagogue for the first time. And do you know what he read in the synagogue? He opened to the prophet Isaiah. And what does the prophet Isaiah say? The prophet Isaiah says, I have come to proclaim good news to the poor. I've come to, to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind. I've come to free the slave. I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the kingdom of God. And who's it for? It's for the down and outers. Maybe we've taught you in church that if you're a down and outer, you're, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> there might be something wrong with you. There's probably something wrong with all of us. But I will say to you, Jesus comes to you I mentioned in the, in the introduction to the text that Jesus preached this sermon in the Gospel of Matthew shortly after he was in the desert with the devil. Now, next week, we're going to hear from Wes about Jesus's conversation and his time in the desert with the devil, and you need to be here because he's gonna give you some, some more details about life in the desert. Maybe some of you are feeling like you're living in the desert, so you need to be here for that. So I'm not, I'm not gonna go there completely, but I wanna make the connection between the two passages for you more explicit today, okay? Hear me say this. Temptation is strongest. Temptation is strongest when you are feeling the conditions of the Beatitudes, when you are poor in spirit, the devil offers you the allurements of the kingdom of this world. When you are mourning, Satan offers you comforts that will in the end lead to your ruin. When you are meek, do you know what Satan offers you? A fast track to obtaining power. When you are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, the Satan shows up with food that in the end will never satisfy you. When you are tempted to not show mercy, the Satan rears his ugly head, trying to convince you of your rights. You got rights, you know? Get a lawyer, you know? When you seek a life of purity, there will be people around you, various Satans, that will call you uncultured or immature for not indulging in entertainment and conversations that are ungodly around you. That is what will happen to you. I promise you that will happen to you. And it will happen to you from good Christian people that feel bad because you're trying to live out a pure life in front of them. That is the thing that always shocks me. People in the world who know I'm a Christian don't give me a hard time at all for trying to live a pure, holy life. They're like, well, that makes sense. He's a Christian, you know? It's the Christians that are always like, man, why don't you just go along with us, man? Man, why you gotta be so holy? It's like, what do you mean? I'm following Jesus, man, you know? He, he, said, he said, you know, be perfect. Therefore, as, my, as your heavenly father is perfect. That's a pretty high standard, you know? When you wanna be peacemakers, various Christians will ridicule you and remind you that you need guns, you need a military, and you need a good lawyer to live a secure life. These are the things that you need, right? One of the greatest threats to a life of righteousness is the persecution that comes with it. 
In many ways, it is easier to navigate life in this godless age if you aren't completely righteous. And that right there is the temptation of Satan. I don't know about you, but when people insult me, persecute me, and falsely say all kinds of evil against me, I don't want to rejoice. <laughs> that's, not my, that's not my gut reaction to people staining my name or dragging me through the mud. I don't want to rejoice. The Satan wants to tell you that it's only when people are saying good things about you that you are walking in step with the Spirit. Did you hear me? The Satan wants to tell you that it's only when people are saying good things about you that you are walking in step with the Spirit. Do you know what is one of the, the greatest uh, maybe hampers or uh, detriments to the church of Jesus Christ in North America in the 21st century, in my opinion, is that the Satan has convinced all of us to be just nice little boys and girls. Just smile. Just go along with it. Don't rock the boat. I'm serious. That's, that's not, Jesus doesn't say that, folks. Jesus, I mean, if you follow, if you follow what Jesus is saying, you're gonna rock the boat. I mean, the boat's gonna really be rocking. You know what I'm saying? You might experience a cross, right? I mean, this is, this is what Jesus promises us. In my 16 years of formal ministry, I can tell you <laughs> that I've experienced that walking in step with the Spirit of God and living out the virtues of the kingdom of God equals people saying falsely all kinds of evil against me. I have not yet had a job in ministry in which I have not experienced these things. It's just true, you know? One of the reasons that young people are leaving the church by the thousands is that we have not taught the virtues of the Beatitudes in the church. The way of Jesus, believe it or not, is not the most expedient way to a happy and prosperous life. It's not. And, and, we're, and we're, we've been selling that to people for a generation. That like, if you follow Jesus, you're gonna have a lot of money and your life's gonna be really, really happy. And when people don't experience that, when they read the actual words of Jesus and they start serving the poor and their friends start abandoning them, they're like, what is this nonsense? I thought I was gonna get a big house, but it's not happening, you know what I'm saying? We have to remember, sometimes when we follow the way of Jesus, it does lead to confusion and despair because it's countercultural. But we have to remember the cross. The cross is the pinnacle moment of Christianity. And Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves. They, may, they must take up their cross and they must follow me. And the Satan, get this, the Satan wants to rob you of the very thing he attempted to rob the son of God in, of in the desert as he was about to begin his ministry. He wants to rob you of your identity. And he will come to you in many forms wanting to take that from you. He wants you to believe that those in power over you win. The Satan wants you to believe that those who take credit for the things that you do don't need you after all. 
He wants you to believe that in your mourning, you'll never be comforted. He wants you to believe that peace is not possible in this life, and so you've got to live by the sword. The Satan wants you to believe that mercy is for sissies and righteousness is unattainable. That's what the Satan wants you to believe. But God is calling us to a higher life. God is calling us to a life of blessedness. God is calling us toward a life of the Beatitudes. Now, the Beatitudes are understood to be contained in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. You may have noticed that this morning I read for you verses 1 through 16. Now, when Matthew wrote his gospel, he didn't write it with headings. Our Bibles have headings. And sometimes I think our headings in our Bible can cause more harm to us than help. And I think particularly in this section, I don't know about your Bible, but in my Bible, in this, in this section, uh, the, the Beatitudes are one, are 1 to 12, and then 13, 16 is salt and light. That's, that's what my head, do you, do you have that? Is, that? is that the case in your Bible? Do you see that? But the thing is, the Sermon on the Mount, there weren't, there weren't headings in it, right? And I really do believe that the Beatitudes are very much to connected to what Jesus says in verses 13 through 16, or at least they were intended to. You see, when you are living out the Beatitudes, it is very easy to lose your salt and lose your light. When people are talking bad about you, when you've lost a loved one, when you're suffering, it's actually easiest to just not get out of bed. Folks, depression is a real thing. Amen, somebody. You know? And, and, and uh, last week, I had us read from Hebrews, the, the text that says Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. You gotta believe there were days Jesus did not want to get out of bed, especially if you think about his disciples. I mean, would you want to hang out with those guys every day? You know what I'm saying? Like he's just laying on his cot or whatever people were laying on in the first century. He's like, Lord, have mercy. I don't know that I can do this again. You know? I'm, I'm serious. And although Jesus probably was prone to depression, he says here that you who experience all of these things you are the salt of the earth. You're its flavor. You are the light of the world. You're its illumination. Your life matters. Even when you don't feel like it does, even when you feel overlooked, you have got to shine your light. Even if the Christian people around you are saying, you know, we could actually really do without your light right now. No, no, no. That's not what God says. God says, hey, bust them with a few more volts, you know, a few more watts, you know. Let them have the light. Blind them by the light. That's what Jesus says. You who are downtrodden, you who are feeling low, don't lose your soul. Does the word influencer mean anything to you? Do you know what an influencer is? Okay, I'm gonna give you the dictionary definition. An influencer is someone who has the capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of something or someone 
or the effect itself. So that's what an influencer is, is someone with the capacity to have an effect on someone's character or identity, okay? That's what an influencer is. In our society, when we use the word influencer, there's another definition that is that is come about in the age of social media. An influencer is now someone with a massive following on social media or a business owner, uh, someone who lobbies the government, moguls, magnates, celebrities. Those are the people that in our culture we call influencers. And many of us have believed the lie of the Satan himself that because we don't have millions of social media followers, because we can't persuade those hiring in our industries to promote us to positions of authority, because we don't have the talent, the skill, or the experience of those that we look up to, then all of a sudden we're not people of influence. That's the lie of the Satan, is to tell you that. Because you're not there, you are insignificant. That is the lie of the Satan. Have you ever looked at somebody else and said, gosh, I wish I was there? Anybody. I'm the only person in this room who has ever looked at another person and thought, gosh, I wish I was there. The lie of the Satan is to believe that because you're not there, you're not significant. But all that is is a lie. What Jesus is saying here is that you who don't get the girl, you who don't make the play, you who don't get the job, you are the light of the world. In the kingdom of heaven, the roles are flipped. The kingdom of heaven has virtues that are otherworldly. And somebody in here needs to hear that today. Your life is significant. You are blessed not because of anything you've done, but because God says so. You are blessed. And it will be a futile enterprise for you if you try to figure out why the thing happened to you that is making you mourn. One of the things that I've realized, at least living this, this long, is that sometimes the re reason is just the stupidity or lack of care of other people. That sometimes it's just the reason. And that's frustrating, you know? Sometimes we wish there were better reasons, you know? Some of you wonder why the people who are close to you are saying, saying lies about you, talking about you without talking to you, right? And so what you wanna do is you wanna kinda like pack up your bags and just go home, leave the community. You're like, well, forget this. Do you know what Jesus says to you? Shine your light. Don't lose your salt. You know who needs you? Your family. You know who needs you? Your church, your school, your community. Shine your light. I don't know that there's a better example in our own time in North America of a group of Christians who endured and persevered through mourning as peacemakers in the face of persecution, as our black African-American brothers and sisters, particularly in the South during the time of civil rights. Thousands of blacks were lynched between the turn of the 20th century and 1950. Thousands by mobs carrying crosses, claiming to be Christians. Martin Luther King Jr.'s own greatest adversaries were the white clergy. 
You can read about that in his letters to the Birmingham, um, from a Birmingham jail. Yet black Christians in America, post-slavery, understood themselves to be fundamentally citizens of another kingdom because they didn't have equal rights in this kingdom. Similar to who? The early Christians in Rome, right? And just like the early Christians in Rome transformed an entire empire through a lifestyle of peacemaking, mourning, and perseverance, our society was equally transformed in the 1950s and 60s. I'm not saying we don't still have work to do, but I do want to lift up the significance of the fight that those people went through in the 1950s and 60s. It was significant. The series that we're currently in is one about Sunday school stories. And I wanna to close today with a video of actually a Sunday school song. Listen to these folks. Some of you may know this, I uh, host a podcast called The Evangelicals with my friend Jeremy Thompson. He's a pastor in Paulding, Ohio at the Church of the Nazarene there. And he was in Alabama with his son this summer and they went to the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, where Martin Luther King Jr. was the pastor. And they were there at a time that it wasn't open for tours, but they got in a back door. Somebody let them in the back door and they walked in and they all of a sudden were a part of a private tour of those guests who were actually volunteers for the Big Brother, Big Sisters program in a town in Mississippi. And they were on a field trip going to see different sites of the civil rights um, movement, which as you could tell by their age, many of them lived through as children. Right? And so that, that song was being sung in the sanctuary where Martin Luther King Jr. was the pastor. And one of the things that just struck me as I, he, he, didn't, he didn't know I was preaching this, he just shared that video with me. And one of the things that struck me as I'm watching this is, oh man, this song sounds completely different coming from them understanding the context that they lived through. For them, this little light of mine was not just a cutesy Sunday school song but it was, it was marching orders. It was a, la a way to live in the world. And it must be that for us today. No matter what you're going through, no matter where you are, you can't lose your salt. You can't lose your light. You gotta let it shine. And so we're gonna do something today. 
We're going to go back to Sunday school, Jay. We're going to sing this little light of mine. Can we do it? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Will you sing it? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Don't let Satan blow it out. Don't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan, don't let Satan. This week, the devil's going to try. I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Amen. I want to pray a blessing over you. Would you open your hands? Recognizing the one that came to those who were down and out. He comes to us today. Jesus comes to us. Lord Jesus, would we receive this word deep into the deepest part of who we are? May we receive your truth today. Would you transform us by it? Would you sanctify us by it? And would you make us more like you? Would you give us the courage and the strength this week to shine our light, to exude our flavor in the world that you've given us? We pray this in the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, from the gifts of God the Father. Amen. Go in the peace of Christ today. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.